Welcome to the Fathom Academy podcast, a podcast designed for the people of Fathom Church to be resourced to go deeper with God. I'm Kyle Knight, and I'm the Youth and Digital Minister here at Fathom. Uh, we've taken a couple weeks off, but we are glad that we're, we're back, glad that you are listening wherever you're at. And uh, today we really wanted to talk about, I think, something that's really, um, really big in the life of not just our church, but in churches in general. Um, and that's sort of this, we've, I feel like we're kind of in this almost post COVID world that we're living in now. Um, but, but this whole thing about church and in-person gatherings, uh, kind of versus online streaming, that sort of, that sort of tension there. Um, so we, we wanted to talk about this with a, a couple pastors. So we've got a couple pastors in the room. Um, Ryan Tafalowski, thank you so much again for joining us. Hey, Fathom. Good to be here. <laughs> and our very own pastor, Chris Martin, is here. Obs. Oh, wow. I hate that. <laughs> I got to try and talk. That's good. Hey, hey, Fathom. Hey there. <laughs> hey there. Um, okay, Chris, where where do you want to start with this yeah. thing? Yeah, so so we've been talking, um, and I've talked with lots of members of our church, people in our church, and other pastors around, goodness, the world. Um, and this is the, this is one of the questions right now is listen, uh, March of 2020, every church in the world that had the digital ability or the financial, um, wherewithal, I don't want to say in the world because there are, this is a really a first world issue, but, um, mm -hmm. but every first, let's say every first world Western church that was not, uh, streaming learned how to, right? So COVID shut us all down. Uh, we were not streaming before. Uh, were you guys streaming before? Nope. Yeah. So, so neither of our churches were streaming services. Um, we, we offered, you know, the podcast of the sermon and things like that, but, but COVID happened. We went all online for us for three full months. Uh, and then we started live streaming with in-person attendance last summer. And we've been doing that since. And now, now that things are kind of reopening, um, the stats are, uh, they're, they're not completely clear, but every study that I'm looking at is saying, and I think I said this in a, in a sermon maybe, or something similar to it a couple of weeks ago, but, um, churches across the board, mega churches to tiny churches, denominational to non-denominational, rural to urban to suburban, it doesn't matter. 20 to 40% of pre-COVID attendance have just kind of disappeared. So, so depending on your, your, your church, actually the bigger the church is, the higher that percentage is, the mm. smaller the church is, the lower that percentage is, but most churches are missing 20 to 40% of their attendees from pre-COVID times. Now, we've talked about this um, and, and, uh, and I've reached out to many people and we've talked it through with our members and with our regular attenders. And um, the, the interesting point is that the, in that 20 to 40% that are not back, many, if not most, are not attending another church, right? It's not like they left us to go to you know your church, Ryan, or they left your church to come to us. Mm -hmm. Most are, when polled, and this is Barna research and things like that. I could, we, we could uh, find those stats, but most uh, are uh, either not attending church at all or have opted to continue to stream online. Now, uh, the reason why we're talking about this today is because things are opening back up, right? I mean, uh, just this week in person, uh, in person, indoor restrictions were lifted. So there's no more numeric restrictions. Masks are now optional. 
in most cases, especially if you are fully vaccinated. So um, the, the whole COVID thing is coming to an end. It's not over. We want to acknowledge that and, um, and be fine with that. But uh, it is coming to an end. So the question now becomes, okay, what do we do with live streaming? Do we keep doing this? And if we do keep doing this, if you're a church member, where does in-person attendance on Sunday morning fit? Because um, this is a new problem, not totally new, but it is new because we have, uh, I mean, almost every church in town has the online option now. Um, but I, I wanted us to, to dialogue about this. Is there theological uh, precedence for the gathering of the saints on the Lord's day for word and sacrament, for singing, for preaching, for uh, taking the Lord's supper, uh, engaging in baptisms, if, if we have fellowship, all that stuff. Uh, is there theological, is there biblical, is there historical precedence for that? And would we say that it is a theological equal or a theological unequal to do that online? Mm. So that's kind of the genesis for me on this. And and we want to be, uh, we want to talk from pastoral perspectives. I mean, I mean, cards on the table, all three of us are employed by churches. And so, uh, so we have kind of a, I mean, this is going to be a bit self-serving in some ways, uh, but we want to talk about this as if, I mean, we're all church members too. We're not just, uh, you know, ministers and pastors in our churches. We are members of our church. We believe in the church. And so what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to truly belong to and engage with a church? So we, we've tried to come up with lots of objections and, and I just want us to kind of I don't know, dialogue about this. So that's my, that's kind of the genesis for you for maybe I'll pass the ball to you, Ryan, as you're, you know, maybe speak from your experience of what you're seeing right now in this world. Oh well, yeah. Well, I, I hadn't seen those statistics before, but it's, uh, I'll put it this way, not hard to believe. Uh, everyone I know in ministry has told me that churches are, are really struggling to adapt to this new post COVID landscape. Uh, and we're having to think about what it means to be God's people in the world at this moment, what it means that Jesus promises that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Uh, I think all these questions are become, coming up in fresh new ways. And I mean, we've just lived through and are living through like truly a once in a generation sort of cataclysm for the church. And uh, I was reading recently that that many churches that were kind of near the end of their life cycle anyway have just sort of been finished off by COVID. So it's a, it's a really unsettling time. And I'm glad you're having the conversation because I think it's something that people who are serious about discipleship to Jesus need to be thinking hard about. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I've got, you said, I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate here and I've got a list of sort of objections or whatever to, um, this whole in-person thing. Um, let me, Let's just start with um, what what do we say, you know, to the people and might be listening. What what do we say to those who um, their their argument for being only on live stream um, that just say that like you know I'm still getting every piece of the service. Like I'm still I'm still getting the sermon, the same sermon that the people who are sitting in the in person are getting in the church. I'm still getting the same sermon. I still hear the same worship. I'm worshiping from my home. I'm still hearing the script, same scripture being read. What, what do we say to those people? How can, is it, is it possible, I guess, to sort of piece together church and still say, Hey, I I'm still doing these same things 
yet I'm still doing, I'm, I'm doing them from home. Therefore, I mean, it's, it's still church. It's not, I'm not in the building. Some say, you know, church is not a building. So can I still do church from sitting in front of my TV or my laptop in that, in that sense? I'm tossing it out there. Who yeah. wants to go? <laughs> uh, well, I'm happy to take a first crack uh, and hand it over to Chris. I, I've heard that line many times that the church is not a building. Um, and I get, I suppose that is true. Uh, but the word ecclesia, the word for church in the New Testament doesn't mean building, but it does mean assembly. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it means people gathered together in a physical space. So, mm-hmm. That argument doesn't hold up especially well exegetically. And I actually think, I, I just think it misses the, the point. Um, I would also ask whether that's the right way to be thinking about what church is. Uh, is church just the assembly of disparate components that you can just grab here and there? Uh, I would say no, something is lost when we are not together because all of those components of the church that you already mentioned, like uh, hearing preaching and hearing the, the reading of scripture and singing, the New Testament just takes for granted that you're doing all of those things assembled physically with other believers. Um, and I would also say that conception of the Christian life strikes me as a bit too passive. That's lots of consumption language. I'm still consuming the same content. I still consume the same sermon. I still consume the same music. I still hear the word of God. But what's interesting is if you think of a passage like Romans chapter 12, Paul is using active language. He says, present your bodies or offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which seems to suggest that the worship experience is not just about receiving. It's actually bringing your body to a place to present it to God in worship with other bodies. Now, obviously during COVID, we couldn't do that in the same way. Um, But my fear is that it conditioned us to think too passively about the Christian life, where Paul sees it as us actually offering ourselves to God in a sort of proactive way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think, and to piggyback on that, I mean, Western modern evangelical church expressions have exacerbated that that vision of mm-hmm. consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of that is natural and some of that is unnatural. And that's not to say that first century church didn't either because yeah. it's still modeled off of kind of um, traveling philosophers. And, you know, I mean, e- even things that we learned about when we were preaching through first Corinthians yeah. with the sophists and this idea that like, proclamation was an itinerant, you know, practice. And mm-hmm. so uh, I, I'm not saying that, that it's not that entirely, but I mean, uh, many churches, in, ours included at a certain level, you come and you watch and we want to encourage participation, but there's a certain level where you're consuming. Um, but biblically, the language that's used when we talk about the church, the two primary metaphors that come to mind are a body and a family. And so um, 
a body me, and, and we talked about this in First Corinthians, and I understand the irony that we did that all online during COVID. So I understand the irony. <laughs> Way to bring that up. Yeah. But in yeah. first but in First Corinthians, as we talk about, as Paul brings up this theology of the body and each member has a role to play in the body. And the purpose of the body is that we would mutually edify and build one another up as we all attain maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, each part of the body is necessary for the body to function. And, and it would be foolish for, you know, the, the, the toe to say, I've, I've got nothing to do with this thing because I'm the toe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that we, that's the illustration that Paul uses. That's yeah. the metaphor that he uses. Um, and when part of your body's not there, you feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, that, that's a, that's a, that's a real, a real deal illustration. The same is true with family, right? I mean, and this is something that I think we can all understand and appreciate coming out of COVID, but Christmas was not Christmas with grandpa and grandma when they were just a facsimile of Zoom on your screen mm-hmm. and you were listening to them and watching them, but you couldn't hug them and you couldn't really exchange gifts in person and you didn't eat, you know, the ham together. And like those, those things were very broken in mm-hmm. some way because of the inability to be within proximity of one another. Yeah. I, I mean, the family metaphor is really interesting. And, I, and as you were talking, I was thinking precisely that. I mean, for a time, my wife and I lived overseas. All of our family was back here and um, we saw them in person only maybe once a year if we were lucky. And it strikes me that it would be strange for me to say, why do I have to be reunited with my family in person? I'm getting all the same content when I talk to them on FaceTime. I can hear my father's voice. I can see my mother. Uh, I can talk to my sister. I can text with them. It's all the same content, isn't it? Yeah, that's all you need. Right? Is, but something is lost. Or when I have to travel for work, say, and I FaceTime with my two-year-old daughter before bedtime, it's actually sort of terrible. It really makes me sad because I can see her, but I can't hold her. I can't mm-hmm. uh, I can't cradle her and, and pray with her in the way mm-hmm. that I would. Um, and these metaphors that Paul uses for the church, we've talked about them elsewhere on other podcasts. They aren't just metaphors. I mean, Paul does see the people of God as brothers and sisters that are bound together by something that is stronger even than blood and ethnic identity. And that kind of mutual affection is really only possible through embodied shared physical presence. Okay. And so in talking about physical presence with others. What about those who say, um, I'm, I'm still, I'm still a part of my small group. I still get my community in that sense. I have, I I'm doing the Sunday morning online stuff with church, but I, I still, I still go to my small group like throughout the week. Is that, is that good enough? Is that part of, Hey, like that's, that's my church. Like, like, I mean, we're, we're talking about seeing family being around them. What about those who are like, well, I'm not coming to church on Sundays, watching it online, consuming all those pieces, but I'm still in my small group. Like, is, is that, is that enough? Yeah. So maybe the question I'll shoot to you, Ryan is historically, where does the, the Sunday gathering Sunday service of the local church, um, where, where, what is the, the importance of that historically, theologically? Um, because what, what I think you're saying is I, I can still do community, Christian community. I can still be a part of the body. I can still be a part of the family, just not on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Like is the Sunday morning part of that indispensable or can that be piecemealed somewhere else? Mm-hmm. 
I think it's a good question. Uh, historically, we don't have anything like small groups until Methodism in the 18th century, right? So re- historically recent development, I mean, the Sunday gathering was the way that you became incarnate to other believers for about 1800 years, give or take. So this is a very new phenomenon. Uh, obviously, technology has made it possible now. Uh, and in fact, actually, just, we had a small group at church just go through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, mm-hmm. uh, which is about Christian community. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. But it's written in the 1930s. And Bonhoeffer is concerned that people are going to stop going to church because they can hear sermons on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't know the half of it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and he would be, uh, I think, quite alarmed Dude smart. by the state of affairs. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Um the way I would answer that is I would say small groups, wonderful. And I think that's right. Especially if you're in a, if you're in a larger church, that kind of intimate community is only possible in a small group kind of setting. So I, I certainly not my intention to discourage anyone from going to a small group. The only thing I would say is that if we take seriously the tech, the earliest Christian texts in the new Testament, Paul, for instance, in first Corinthians three, is telling us that when believers assemble for corporate worship, something is happening there that does not happen anywhere else. So even if you've got the greatest small group in the world, and and you may have, you are not hearing the word proclaimed in the same way, which uh, in Protestant traditions, we understand as the address of God, the address of Jesus Christ to his people through uh, an ordained pastor. Uh, You're not practicing the sacraments in the same way, and you're not worshiping corporately in the same way. Uh, And what's really striking is in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that when the assembled community comes together, they become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true of individual believers too, but he seems to argue that there's something happening. And actually he uses the word in Greek that translates the holy of holies. So he says, when you come together, you're the holy of holies. You are the place where the living God dwells. There's a power there. And I would also say this, uh, home groups are wonderful. I value my small group tremendously, but they also tend to be a little bit homogenous. And the New Testament's vision of the church is being in a room with people whom you would never otherwise be with. Mm. That's central to the church's vision of the church. And it's symbolized by the, by the Last Supper, of course, with Jesus, where you've got all these guys who would never be hanging out with one another mm. if they were not sharing a table with Jesus. And uh, so those are two things I would kind of throw out in, in response to that question, but I'm curious to know what you think, Chris. Yeah, I um, I think you're right. Uh, again, I think the, and some of this is, some of this is mysterious, but some of it isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you can gather with 12 people in your house and you could turn on the service and watch and still, again, same content, mm-hmm. but there is something dynamically different about being in person. Now, this is maybe a flawed illustration, but let me just put it out there. Um, uh, I went to the Nuggets game a week ago. Game two, Nuggets won. Where, it was great. Where were I'm nice. the lucky where, charm. Where were you sitting? I'm the lucky charm. Uh, I was sitting in a good seat. <laughs> you need to sit close enough to try to injure Damian Lillard. I, uh, I'll just say it this way. We touched a basketball, an errant mm, basketball wow. at one point. Um, mm. Now, now here's the truth. Uh, I can see the game better from my living room. 
I can turn on the TV. I can pause it. I can run to the restaurant. I don't miss anything. I don't have to deal with the lines. I don't have to deal with parking. I don't have to deal with any of that. Um, I can watch the game in a more accurate and even, uh, I mean, I can replay it. I, I mean, I hear the commentary. There's a lot that I get from watching the Denver Nuggets playoff basketball from my couch. I'm watching the same game sitting at the arena and there is something that I cannot get from my couch that I get at the arena. Um, those dudes are enormous. And you don't, you can't tell scale until you're sitting courtside. Like you just can't tell what, how big a seven foot Jokic is without being there and like being close enough to be sweat on, which I think is a COVID issue, but I'm not going to go there today. <laughs> Now that's a, that might be a, that take that metaphor too far and it becomes flawed. But, but I would say I'm, I'm, I'm taking in the same thing, mm -hmm. but there are, they are two wildly different experiences. Yeah, right. One is live in person and it is fully, it's taking up my entire vision. All of my senses are engaged. Uh, it's, it, it required of me. It cost for me to be there, to get out of my house, to drive, to park, to walk, to do security. I mean, all that's, it was, it was costlier. It was, I, I lay all that to, to you to say, there's just something different mm. about gathering together. That is, that's different than watching a screen, whether that screen is a wide, huge screen on your wall, or whether that's a phone while you're laying in your bed. Um, there's something different. Now, that's that feels kind of pragmatic as an as an argument, but I I think it's I think it's a decent argument. Oh, I think uh, I'm actually not that convinced that it's a very flawed metaphor at all. Um, when you're at a sporting event like that, you'll hear people talk about the energy in the arena, the energy at the stadium, um, and that's true of the the worship gathering too. There's an energy in the room. Now, uh, here, please understand what I'm saying and take it with a grain of salt because there's a million problems with talking about the spirit of God as an energy. That's right. So let me just, let me just say that at the, at the forefront, the spirit of God is a person, mm. not the force, but, um, I am convinced both exegetically by reading the new Testament and also experientially by worshiping with my brothers and sisters, that the spirit of God comes in an intensity when we are together that can't be duplicated mm. and is lost in translation. Um, now does that mean I think we shouldn't have live streams or I'm not grateful for them? I'm immensely grateful. Uh, if this had happened even 10 years ago, we just wouldn't have had church for a year. Um, mm. but I think I like the analogy really well. And as long as I'm Jokic, uh, in my church, <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, you look about the same height as him on yeah. the screen. So I'm as doughy as he is. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, okay. Pastors, uh, what do you say? What do you say to someone who just says it's easier to watch it online, to watch church online? What and and again, a lot of these, a lot of these sort of responses, these pushback. We like we know like these are real. These are real things yeah. that that mm -hmm. people are um, that people are going through. Um, but but what what do you say to to those who have just gotten very comfortable with with doing the online church, which is waking up. You know, it's, they don't have to 
get they don't they don't have to get their their kids ready their whole family ready they're, it's just it's easier it's comfortable to just to just turn it on um like like what do we what do we say to those people it is yep it's way easier you're right yeah i get it i mean i i, I don't mean to minimize that i mean we <laughs> we have a toddler and uh even before we had kids adrian if you're listening i'm sorry although i think you know uh I had to lie to my wife about what time it was so that we would leave on time to get to church. Uh, she'd call down like, what time hmm. is it? And I'd say, Oh, we got to leave in five minutes. Yeah. Me. Uh, and then add a toddler to the mix and forget it. Right. right? It is hard to get to church. Uh, I agree with that. And I, and I am sympathetic, especially with folks who have families mm. and children's ministry was severely disrupted. I think for a lot mm. of churches in this past year. So I get all that. I mean, I totally understand that. Um, I would just, again, want to come back to, to Paul in Romans 12. Offering ourselves to God in community is a discipline. It, it requires something of us. Mm. And uh, it also is a way of expressing that our brothers and sisters matter to us. We value them. They are worth it. Uh, the work that our ministers do to put on the service is worth it. Um, our musicians, I think, uh, while I understand it, I would just, yeah, I would just want to remember that it is a discipline mm -hmm. and we are shaped and, uh, shaped or deformed by the disciplines that we practice. Yeah, it is easier. Yeah. I mean, it is wake up at, you know, 10 minutes till service have a nice cup of coffee, wear your bunny slippers, you know, now that it's summer, mm -hmm. sit on your back porch in the open air, Yeah, you know, and as soon as you're done, you're done. You don't have to drive. You don't have to say hi to that guy in the hallway that kind of irks you a little bit. Yeah. I mean, but guess what? Everything is quote easier. Um, with, with, I mean, going to the gym is not easy. I mean, I like the word discipline because we, I mean, we did our spiritual disciplines series, um, last year. And, and that, that's the whole idea of, of sp the spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible is not easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, goodness, it's, it's, it's not always just like, yes, every single morning, just like taking this, in. I'm reading Deuteronomy right now. It's like, some of it's awesome. And some of it's like, why am I reading this? You know, it's a, <laughs> but it's a discipline. Praying mm -hmm. is hard. Being in fellowship and community, confessing your sins to one another. That's hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, COVID didn't make it hard. It was hard before. It really was. One of the things I was uh, talking with a mentor of mine, and he said, um, he said people have people have re have essentially disciplined themselves towards new habits, and those new habits are are likely unhealthy. Yeah, there's new habits that have been formed, and um and the question is, are those new habits good habits? Mm -hmm. Um, because because like Ryan just said, everything that you do is formative it might be formative in a positive direction, but it also might be formative in a negative direction. Um, and that's part of the reason why the discipline of church is, is, is of the utmost importance. It's part of your Christian formation. Historically, it is a, um, if not the most important, one of the most important disciplines for the historical Christian church. Yeah, I think it's important what you said, Chris, that it's always been hard. I mean, you think of a, a text like, Hebrews 10. Now there's all kinds of things going on in the historical background of that book that we can't possibly understand. I mean, people are being 
violently persecuted or at least are on the verge of it. So you can understand why they would give up the habit of meeting together. Mm-hmm. But it's always been easier not to. <laughs> that, that, that's a, at least one of the meanings of that text. Mm-hmm. And during, uh, during the past year, last spring when we were filming, we were recording services and then streaming them. So we'd record it during the week. So I had Sunday mornings off and I did not want to sit and watch myself preach, which is a fate worse than death. If you've ever <laughs> spoken in public. And so like, uh, you know, we went on a family walk, we made brunch and then like it was 11 o'clock before I realized that it was Sunday. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Like <laughs> this, this is why people are tempted not to come to church. Mm. This is amazing, but it's always been hard. Um, and and Chris uses the, the the language of discipline. And one of the things that's so interesting is that both in the New Testament and then also in early Christian literature, written the first hundred years after the New Testament, probably the key metaphor for the Christian life that is used is the the language of the athlete. And what's actually interesting in Greek is the word athlete is where we get our word agony. <laughs> the one who trains to the point of agony. Uh, now I'm not trying to get super sadistic, like the Christian faith must cause you pain. But it's agonizing in the sense of like working out is agonizing, mm. right? Uh, it hurts, right? It costs something. It's hard, takes discipline. Yeah. And I think, Ryan, you mentioned something that we had talked about before we started recording that I just want to highlight again is um, it's also at a certain level, you're not just coming for you. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think you you brought up, you know, for the ministers, like, and, and we can all say this, Kyle, you've preached at Fathom, Ryan and I regularly preach. Um, I mean, we put a lot into the preparation and, and yeah, we're vocationally, we're paid to do this. So, but, but, but there's a lot that goes into this and, and I just can't express to you how disheartening it is to preach to a room that has, you know, 20 people in it. Um, when it's, when, when, when I know that it should be more. And that's not because we want huge churches and we've got delusions of grandeur. Uh, but, but there is something that, that, and you also brought up like musicians. I mean, uh, our, our worship team is primarily volunteers who, by the way, wake up way earlier to get here. They show up in a midweek rehearsal. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. They're part of this family and they're serving you and they are disheartened. When you're not there, there's greeters who are here. There's children's ministry workers who are standing here wanting to love and support you as you disciple your kids. I mean, every single week we are printing curriculum that we're throwing away because people aren't showing up. It is, it is a disheartening thing. So you, you showing up or not showing up is not just about you. Even again, it comes back to the body. It comes back to the family. Well, and I don't want to be heavy handed here. Um, cause I realize it's been a very difficult year. Um, but those folks on your worship band, uh, who are mostly volunteers, your greeters, your kids ministers, they are bringing their bodies to this place as living sacrifices so that there is content to be consumed. And uh, when Paul says, outdo one another in showing mm. honor, mm. like that's something we should think about, right? Honoring those people and their work. Um yeah, I would just echo what Chris yeah. said. I think it's important. Well, we are running out of time. So I'm going to give maybe each of you or whatever whatever else you would like to say last of um, just your your thoughts on on church still being online. Now we like we are we're still we're going to 
this isn't like, hey, we're gonna we're getting rid of live streaming or anything. We're gonna still have live streaming. We have um, we want options for you. But is there anything else that you would want to say on this on this topic of consuming church online? What that what church looks like in um, in a gathering in your own living room uh, to those who are still uh, maybe. Mm not making that choice to to come back whether it's covid related or not whatever um just just last last thoughts on this before we wrap it up well, i can go ahead and I, I can let pastor chris take you all home uh, I, what i would say as i've been meditating on this question and listening to you to you both speak about it i've been thinking about the book of ephesians uh, i would encourage the folks who are listening to go read through the book of ephesians where Paul is laying out probably his most comprehensive vision for the church. And in Ephesians, uh, all throughout the book, he's arguing, arguing that the people of God are at the front line of God's battle against the powers of darkness and death and destruction. And even though the church seems feeble and frail and it's disappointing and it's messy, it is the weapon that God has chosen to fight against the principalities and the powers. And one of the things that Paul is arguing in Ephesians is that um, one of the ways that we demonstrate God's final victory over Satan and the powers of death and evil and sin is when we come together, Jew and Gentile, male and female, we come together across ethnic and political lines. We come across, we come together across generational lines. When we come together like that, it demonstrates to those powers that they have been dethroned. Mm -hmm. And my question would be, shouldn't it unsettle us some to think about the fact that Satan desperately wants the church not to assemble? and that the powers are desperate to keep us apart from one another, to alienate us. And that's why when you read the New Testament, the main scheme of the evil one in all of these early Christians is division, to separate people, uh, to divide them up into factions, to keep them from worshiping together with one voice. Because when we do that, like that is how the victory of God prevails over the gates of hell. Like, that's the story the New Testament is telling about the church. And if that's true, do we want to be doing something that makes the devil excited, mm. which is refusing to come together? That would just be the final mm. thought I would leave. Yeah, that's much better than my final thought. Um, <laughs> Maybe you should have went first. <laughs> yeah, we'll edit that in post. Um, no, I, I agree. Um, I'll, add, I'll add one pragmatic ending because Ryan's the theologian. I'm just the guy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wonder what it says about our discipleship. Um, and, and so as if you're listening church, if you're a member of our church, if you're right, if you call this place home, um, there's, there's some concern that I have for a generation of Christians. Um, and, and that concern is that, um, like Ryan has already said, for almost two millennia, the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day for word and sacrament under qualified biblical leadership has been the primary way 
that God's people have been formed, have been discipled. Um, and I love that that C.S. Lewis, uh, I think it's C.S. Lewis who originated this. Who, who cares? Everybody's Probably. used this. The, the, it's, I'll just blame it on C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I think he talked about something that has been noted as chronological snobbery. I think that's him. Yep. Is that Lewis? You did it. Nailed it. <laughs> C.S. Lewis. That's always my go-to. Um, but chronological snobbery is a real thing, as in we've figured this out today. We figured this out. We've got a better grasp on this. Um, and 2000 years of church history. Yeah. But that was before the iPhone. Yeah. But that was before, um, you know, live stream. Uh, yeah. But that was before YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatever's next. Like that was before all these things, but today we've got it figured out. And so of course I can just do it the way that I think I should do it. And that's, that's chronological snobbery. That's, that's not recognizing that we are standing on the shoulders of generations of those who have faithfully tried to follow Jesus. And the way that they've done that has been in the gathering. I mean, ecclesia means assembly or gathering, the gathering. Like, so, so I'm very concerned for a generation of Christians. Uh, if I'm speaking specifically to parents, I'm really worried about your kids. Because you might be consuming things online and you might think in an individualistic way that's somehow nourishing your formation. But I guarantee you, your kids aren't gleaning that from us online. Kids don't learn that way. I mean, this is why Zoom school was so ineffective and why we've just been beckoning for in-person school uh, as soon as possible. I'm worried for our kids. I'm worried for, for essentially people who for all intents and purposes, lack markers of historical Christianity. Uh, you know, I, I say it in sermons often. I'd like for you to look at your life and try and identify if there is any um, substantial evidence that you are loving, serving, submitted to the God of the Bible. Um, and then one of the one of the ways that you evidence that is by being a part of His body. So. I mean, I know that's a lot of different things, but I, I, I really am worried. I really am worried um, as, as your pastor, as many of your friends, I'm, I'm worried about, um, about this. And so I hope my heart doesn't, I hope you're not hearing me say, I just want more people in the room. Like I, I want you in the room. Mm -hmm. I want your kids being taught by our kids ministry leaders. I want them rubbing shoulders with Harper. I want them growing up together into uh in our kids ministry i want our i want to see your youth mingling with our youth in the basement like i want those things because those are those are the the tried and true i mean the okay last thought ryan has he mentioned the temple the temple in the old testament was where god's presence was jesus comes onto the scene and he says um destroy my body destroy this temple he's talking about his body and in three days it will rise again so that so when jesus is on the scene his body is the place where God is. He himself, I mean, that's an identification of his incarnate deity. But then in the New Testament, the people of God are the temple. The temple was where God's presence was in the Old Testament. It's God's presence on earth in the body of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And now it's the church is, God's people are where God's presence is. And if you move away from where God's presence is, you move away from where God is. That's nervous. That's nerve wracking. Yeah. I mean, I, I listened to you speak. I thought too, it's not like we just want you in the room because we're in the room. 
or our really cool worship is in the room. We're, we're just mediaries, right? But mm. Jesus is in the room. Mm. I mean, that's what the New Testament is saying. So we, we want you in the room because Jesus is there. Like we want you to know Jesus. We don't want you to know Chris or Ryan uh, in any primary sense, right? We, we're fellow travelers, right? Mm. Trying to, to follow Jesus and that's where he is. Well, I'm not going to add anything to that because that was good. Um, come to church on Sunday. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you there. Uh, thank you, church. We'll catch you next time.